0: thing about kids with ADHD is that a lot of them don't have the same capacity to manage their emotions as other kids their age who don't have ADHD. And I hope that hits home. That's just like saying, if I don't have it, how do you expect me to do it? How do you expect me to respond to what you're asking me to do? It's like, I can't win.
1: you ever question how your child thinks and feels how they come to these big emotions why they struggle with communicating with us sometimes the dysregulation the rejection sensitivity there's so many intense moments and challenges and big emotions and in this episode of the podcast I am diving into this topic with Dr. Dawn Brown. We are going to cover how you can figure out how your child thinks and feels, how to meet them where they are, which is so crucial. If you're a listener of this podcast regularly, you know how important meeting your child where they are is. Dr. Dawn also is going to give you permission to take care of yourself and to really understand the importance of self-care and the importance of our mindset and our attitude and how that interacts with our kids and really creates what happens. You know, what is feeding all of this behavior from underneath, all of these struggles? They all have reasons, and we can affect so much positive change. And Dr. Dawn is going to lead you a little bit into that right now on this episode. Welcome to the Parenting ADHD podcast, where I share insights and strategies on raising kids with ADHD straight from the trenches. I'm your host, Penny Williams. I'm a parenting coach, author, ADHD-aholic and mindset mama, honored to guide you on the journey of raising your atypical kid. Let's get started. Welcome back to the Parenting ADHD Podcast. I'm super excited to have Dr. Don Brown with me on this episode. We're going to talk about discovering how your child thinks and feels, and this is so, so important for parents of kids with ADHD. Because when we understand our kids, then we have the knowledge and the insight to be more helpful to them and to empower them. Thanks for being here, Dr. Brown. Will you start by introducing yourself for everyone listening?
0: Yes, and thanks so much, Penny, for having me. I'm so honored to be a part of what you're producing. Um, so my name is Dr. Dawn Brown. I'm a child, adolescent, and adult psychiatrist, um, a two-time best-selling author, public speaker, podcaster, and media influencer. I'm an expert in ADHD. I have a private practice in Houston, Texas, as well as serve three or four clinics and um, manage, help manage nurse practitioners manage their uh, patients who have mental health conditions. I also work closely with a group of individuals, special individuals, who I call my super moms. And these are moms who are caregivers for children who have ADHD. And I also work closely with elite athletes and in providing mental wellness um, for their way of living as well. So You yeah. are so busy. So, <laughs> so busy.
1: <laughs> yes. <laughs> Doing yes. such good work, but so much of it.
0: You're yes. so amazing. It's
1: so awesome. Thank and I you. always enjoy our conversations because you have the most fantastic energy and excitement about helping kids and adults. And I think it's just fantastic. I always get great vibes and inspiration from you. So I'm excited to Thank talk you. about this. Yeah. So we're talking about discovering how your child thinks and feels. Where do we start with this? What do we talk about first?
0: Well, you know, I, I would like to start by just saying, you know, when we when parents look at their children um, unintentionally or intentionally, you know, you may have two or three children or you may have a child and a niece and nephew or just looking at your child in comparison to their peers, we often compare. And so what I would like to start with by saying is that, you know, kids with ADHD Um, don't necessarily have different thoughts or emotions than other kids who don't have ADHD. You know, they feel the same type of emotions or experience the same type of emotions that kids without ADHD have. So hurt, anger, sadness, you know, frustration, discouragement, they were just as much as kids without ADHD. So, but the difference, however, with kids with ADHD is that these feelings may seem to be more frequent and more intense And they also may last longer. Um, So you start to see these differences and then you start to also observe how they may impact that child's relationships, um, their self-esteem, you know, they're just kind of their everyday life. So, you know, emotions play a huge role when we think about um, the daily difficulties that kids may face who have ADHD. The bottom line is that a lot of kids with ADHD have trouble managing their emotions, but it's a very common symptom of ADHD. So to understand this, I as a psychiatrist, I always like to visualize um, the brain in this case and talk a little bit about biology. So I want to talk about it in terms where I can make it portable to your listeners and not necessarily bore them, <laughs> you know, with the medical terminology that they have to go look up. But, you know, our brain is so intricate. And so when we're born, you know, the brain is actually growing by leaps and bounds. And actually the first six years of life are so important because a lot goes on in our child's body, but especially our child's brain. There's so many cell, cell development, connections, what we call synapses in the brain. Um, chemicals are being made. The different aspects or parts of the brain are maturing so rapidly. So, you know, if that is naturally happening in a healthy manner, then that's a good outcome. And it's actually, you know, something that we look at to see how behavior is correlated with that, development, how, you know, kids start to think, how they respond, actions, movement, and so on and so forth. The interesting part about the brain when we talk about um, ADHD or any other executive functioning condition is that there's a particular part of the brain called the frontal lobe. And if you touch your forehead, that's kind of the area that I'm referring to. So the frontal lobe, if you can think of it, is kind of like our brain's brain <laughs> <can> <laughs> You know I like to think of it that way because it's very important aspect of the brain that helps regulate other parts of the brain. It's our, it's our executive function area. It's, it's how we think how we learn, how we first receive and understand and process information. Um, it's also the area where our impulse control center starts as well as our activity center um, starts, okay? So when you're talking about executive functioning, you're talking about just learning overall and, and, and processing information and memory and things of that nature. Now, it, it gets more intricate, than that, and different parts of the brain are involved in this eventually as well. But with ADHD, some parts of the brain, we have enough research to look at the brain if on imaging and and find that sometimes with ADHD, this part of the brain is underdeveloped or or underactive or subactive, okay? So it's saying it's nothing wrong per se with your child's brain. It's just that if it's underactive or underdeveloped, for example, if I'm able to process information and I do have ADHD myself, I may not get that information as a rapid rate or efficient rate than someone without ADHD, if that makes right, sense.
1: Right, right.
0: So I want to, you know, just keep these type of examples in mind. Now, not just structurally, but also chemically. There's different chemicals that are formed in this part of the brain that work well to help process information and connect these cells by creating electric electrical impulses to send information from cell to cell. And so, again, this area of the brain may not be making enough cells or enough, excuse me, enough chemicals, and it never did. So I never like to refer to ADHD as a deficiency because it's not. I actually have coined the term, it's an amazability once you understand what it is and learn how to manage it. Right. But I'm, I will admit that it's an insufficiency um, because we've never made enough of these chemicals if you have ADHD when you were born, and you're never going to make enough as you grow older and become an adult. And so mm-hmm. that's why I like to start there, because I'm, I'm hoping that that lays the foundation to when we're talking about how your, you know, your ADHD child thinks, how they feel, and also how that reflects in their behavior, Because you can't necessarily say, oh, my child, you know, has the capacity to be able to respond to these thoughts and these feelings and these emotions and behaviors like a child who doesn't have ADHD because their brain structure and chemical makeup is different.
1: Yeah. I always like talking about the fact that ADHD is neurological and physiological, you know, it's lumped into mental health. And it, I think, is certainly impactful in in that area. But I think for the general public, when we talk about it as mental health, it takes on this perception that it's somehow within the individual's control, you know, that it's not this actual physiological difference that Mm -hmm. just makes the frontal lobe work differently or, you know, not as well or, you know, Mm -hmm. and all these other aspects that I'm sure we'll get into As well, like emotions and feelings and executive functioning. But I feel like when we talk about this physiology, as you just explained, that really does help us to, in those moments that are so hard as parents, to be mindful of the fact that our kids' brains work differently than probably ours, some of us at least. They work differently than their neurotypical peers. They work differently than your other child, potentially, Mm -hmm. right? And Mm -hmm. that just really lays that foundation then to be much more empathetic and understanding with our kids, which only helps them um, instead of kind of flaming the fire of struggle and big emotions that sometimes happens.
0: That's exactly right, Penny. and the other point that I want to point out is that even within the ADHD group of kids, everyone's brain is different.
1: Oh so different mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so different
0: You're exactly right. So you know it's very important that we're we're aware and cautious of how we engage when our kids are not responding the way we want expect them to or want them to or how society you know expects them to and so on and so forth because you know we have to meet them where they are and meeting them where they are like you're saying is having an understanding and empathy to know what's the right way to respond to that particular child yeah nurturing them and not necessarily ridiculing them and they're internalizing that differently
1: Mm-hmm. And even when we don't intend any harm, mm-hmm. as parents, as caregivers, as teachers, um, other adults in their lives, so often the intention is not to harm. The intention is great, but the lack of understanding mm-hmm. then creates some harm, some negative impact on our kids. That's
0: right. And that's also interesting with kids with ADHD because when we talk about certain conditions that relate to ADHD, um, one in mind, and we can get into this later, called rejection-sensitive dysphoria, 99.9% of people who have ADHD have this, you know, newly diagnosed, or it's actually not even a DSM. It's it's actually a new condition that we're still trying to gain enough information and research on. But what it basically states is, how a, how a person can be very sensitive and, and, and receive criticism a little bit differently. Um, because or even perceive
1: ego. it. Yeah, yeah, even perceive it when it's not there.
0: Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. You're exactly right. And so your intent is to nurture and to provide support and empathy, but how they're receiving it is a little different, you know, and it can be, like you're saying, much, you know, it could be in, in the realm of intensity. Um how they perceive it differently. So it can mean something different to them. Um, It can be based on a trigger that has nothing to do with you. They're relating it or associating it. So, yes, I mean, it it can be very complex. Um, But the bottom line is that there are ways to make sure that our intentions are received, um, you know, in the most appropriate way. And and there's ways to how parents and teachers and adult figures can communicate to where they're confirming that the child is receiving it as well. And we can talk about that as well.
1: Let's first touch on how we figure out what our child is thinking and feeling. Because I remember when my son was diagnosed, he was six years old, which is 11 years ago now. But all I wanted in the world was to figure out what was going on in his head, Mm -hmm. to figure out what it was like to walk through the world with his brain and his emotions and his perspective of things because I felt like that was the missing piece that I needed to truly help him. And over the years, I've consumed a lot of information and, you know, really dug deep into it and have figured out a lot of that on my own. I even um, wrote a book called The Insider's Guide to ADHD, where I surveyed 10 adults with ADHD and I said, what, what was it about your childhood that was either super not helpful? or was very helpful. You know, what did your parents and teachers do for you and not do for you? Because I was so desperate to yes. get inside and understand.
0: Yes. So th- what's interesting about um, emotions is that when kids have trouble managing their emotions, it can show up in different ways. I mean, adults too, right? But if we, if we leave the focus on our children Some of our kids may have trouble, you know, managing or putting the brakes on their feelings when they're angry or when they're stressed about something. And others may struggle with getting them to talk about their emotions. Right. Or getting them to talk about how they're feeling or they may be bored. So, you know, it's kind of like a two way street here. And so kids with ADHD and and, and more than so at their age may, you know, get quick to anger with minor annoyances, for example, or they, you know, over worry about the small things. They take offense about, you know, someone who's trying to carefully provide general criticism to them or feel a sense of even urgency to to get to something that they want right now. OK, or having you know, trouble calming down when they feel angry. So one of the things that I that um, I work with kids in my ADHD coaching courses, um, because in order for us to talk about how to organize and do time management, you know, a part of this is understanding where their child is so that I can meet them where they are and see what their abilities and their capacities are. The thing about kids with ADHD is that a lot of them don't have the same capacity to manage their emotions as other kids their age who don't have ADHD. And I hope that hits home. That's just like saying, if I don't have it, how do you expect me to do it? How do you expect me to respond to what you're asking me to do? It's like, I can't win, right?
1: Yeah, yeah. I was just going to say that reminds me, you know, physiologically of amygdala hijack. And the fact that when our kids are super intensely emotional, it has cut off access to the frontal lobe that you were describing before and so now they can't rationalize out of it they can't really even process what we're saying and trying to help them sometimes that's
0: right and 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 they have less ability to react to their own emotions using their brain's own reasoning ability you're exactly right, right. rationalization that was a huge aha for me mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. me as well and and even understanding my own adhd and me feeling guilty about what was asked of me and thinking back when I was a child, when I, you know, didn't know I had ADHD until, I, you know, I became an adult. But even as an adult, it, it hits home. Mm-hmm. And so the other point that I want to make about kids and I find with working with kids is they also have trouble with working memory. And I talk about this in in, in my book, you know, the ADHD Lifestyle Series, when I focus on foods and exercise part of the exercise that we often forget about is the mental exercise. It's so important, you know, that, you know, our kids are active and heart healthy, you know, and, you know, get that energy out, but it's just as equally as important that they meditate, that they may do yoga, that they, they're, they're focusing on mindfulness. And we, I think we talked about this in your seminar and and kids with ADHD typically have trouble with working memory. And so that makes it very hard for them to, keep the bigger vision in mind. You know, they tend to get stuck in whatever they're feeling at any particular moment. And imagine you sitting right there being stuck. So when you're stuck, it doesn't feel good. It's uncomfortable. For kids with ADHD, it tends to intensify, especially when I'm angry. And it can go on longer, becomes more difficult to manage or even regulate. And then all of a sudden it builds up and it's very difficult to even think. Because now you're focused more on your emotion, okay? And so these kids, you know, kids with ADG often called, you know, that they're mo- referred to be being emotionally sensitive, um, or sometimes they they don't know what to, how to manage these feelings, so they may become bad thoughts or even unhealthy behaviors.
1: Yeah, when you said bad thoughts, that really reminded me of something I hear from parents so often is. Um, really self deprecating comments from their kids, and even kind of scary comments. You know, I'm stupid, but also I, I might as well be dead. You know, I know when my own son was little, that was what he would say when he didn't have the language yet and the awareness yet to really communicate much more effectively what he was actually feeling. It was kind of this all or nothing that it was very black and white. And so if he was angry, He was fully 100% angry and that meant he, you know, might as well be dead or somebody might be Mm. hurt, you know, and so talk to parents about this all the time is that we have to start working on that communication piece for our kids and that awareness emotionally because it does trigger so much of the behavior and the other challenges that we as parents really focus on.
0: You're exactly right. And I can go into giving some ideas and how to manage that. Um, Before I do, I definitely want to support what you're saying, that it's going from zero to 10 and they speak in absolutes, Mm -hmm. because their emotions and part of ADHD. One of the symptoms is impulse, you know, lacking impulse control. Right, having all of these emotions, all of these thoughts going on at once, which create more emotions for us to manage. And it's hard for a kid, even an adult for that matter, to deal with all of that when it's every emotion and every thought is on 10. So the behavior, the actual action as a result of those thoughts and those feelings become, Mom, I just want to die, or I just want to give up, or no one likes me, everyone hates me. And so the intensity of the words that they choose to the degree of their saying it. It just it's a reflection of what they're feeling and
1: what they're thinking. Yeah. I love the phrase, your child is having a hard time. They're not giving you a hard time. Yeah. And I use that kind of as my parenting mantra because sometimes yeah. it's really hard to remember that they're not just trying to give us a hard time and be difficult. Um, but that that just clarifies all of that so much. You know, if we can just remember in all of these moments and big emotions and intense outbursts and any challenge that their intention is not to be problematic for us or to upset us or even to be disrespectful or rude, which right. we often quantify behavior with. That's right. You're exactly right. And and again, before
0: we talk about how, you know, as parents, we can be there for our children to help them with, you know, these emotions and help regulate them, I do want to share one final piece about executive functioning. You know, part of executive functioning is about self-reasoning. And so, kids without ADHD, and and, and I hate to compare, but I but I think it brings the point home, is that usually a child without ADHD, they, they tend to calm down, they can chill out. It You know, they see the minor details and it's not a huge ordeal for them, okay? They may actually reason and say, you know, I'll try again, or let me try to find a better way, or be receptive to, you know, Instructions on how to go about those, you know, techniques. But kids with ADHD, you know, what's interesting about the brain is that it's slower to develop on that front. You know, it's going to take longer for that child to gain the ability to calm down and even get perspective. So they're more likely to get caught up, you know, in their own emotions, and as a result, this can look like anxiety, can look like discouragement. It can look like them giving up too quickly or being reluctant to even get started on something. Mm-hmm. Because remember, it's hard to calm their emotions. And sometimes it's hard to also rev up the, the gear to get things done, right? They avoid interacting with others. So this is a kid that would just want to, you know, maybe say something impulsive and then kind of go in the corner and not say anything else for the rest of the night. And so, therefore, their emotion in the moment can take over their thinking process. So, yeah. you know, just, you know, it, it's important for us to understand, you know, how all of these things play a role in how we connect them. Um, if we if we want to start talking about, well, as a, you know, as a parent, what can I do? Because everything that Penny and Dr. Brown are saying, you know, this is my kid, right? This is my this is my child and this is the concern that I've been having for quite some time. And, you know, for a lot of caregivers and, you know, I work with moms closely. So dads, I know you're out there. You're probably experiencing these things and grandparents as well when working with moms. Cause that's the group I work closely with. Sometimes this becomes a feelings of shame and guilt. And, and, and because you see your child as an extension of you and there's certain expectations and there's certain behaviors that they're supposed to be presenting in public and not necessarily, you know. And so, you know, it, it, that becomes more conflictive in your own relationship with your child. And what do you do with that? How do you manage that? Yeah. So one of the things that I, I do recommend is first, you know, as a as a parent, and I always tell this to my mom. First of all, this is not your fault that your child has ADHD. So let's recognize the condition first. You know, this this is a condition that is mo- most common in kids who have a mental health condition. It's the, one of the most common. Um, we're, the research is still out to understand the causes of ADHD. We do know that genetics and environment in, impacted. So, if your mom has ADHD, it's likely that your child may have it about five fifty to seventy percent. Okay, and that increases with siblings and also you know with if their father may present with symptoms. And there's nothing you could have done differently, mom, you know, to from right. happening. So let's just acknowledge it for what it is. This is a condition that you just have to, you know, learn more about and help your child manage. So one of the things that I, you know, I suggest is first have a parent's own understanding of what their child's ADHD is. And, you know, a lot of times meeting with people like yourself, Penny, who is very involved with moms and community caregivers and and understanding as a parent yourself with, you know, a child with ADHD, giving some education and awareness about the condition, what it may Uh look like, a lot of severity, different environments. But when you work one-on-one with your child, I always suggest that once you have, you know, this information, start by acknowledging what they seem to be feeling. Yes. And, right. And so when you were giving that um, example, Penny, about, you know, I just want to die, you know, and, and, you know, your son didn't necessarily mean that he really was literally wanting to die, you know, right. this intense moment that he just didn't have the words. So acknowledge, you know, don't, you know, don't argue with what they should be feeling, but acknowledge what they seem to be feeling. I see, son, that you are angry about not winning the game, for example. And so you're acknowledging what you feel and you're giving them, you know, some type of inclination of this is what this may be for you and help them give it a name. You know, anger. It's OK to say it, you know, upset, You know, mad, sad, because these are emotions and natural emotions for all of us to experience. No emotion is a bad emotion. It's just how we manage it. And uh, allow them to own it. Don't take it away from them. Don't tell them they should be feeling this way and they should be proud because they got this. No, you want to validate their emotion because they want you to, they they need help with understanding and validating for their own needs.
1: And And their emotions are real.
0: I mean, just because
1: we feel like they might be inappropriate, it doesn't take away that that's what our child is feeling in that moment. And validating is an amazing parenting tool. It's magical.
0: Yes. Yes, it is. And it's, you're meeting your child where they are and, and it's accepting, right? Because again, with ADHD, again, we can go on and on, but some of these kids are already don't feel accepted. They only, they already feel like they have to prove themselves that you know, it, their emotions um, are intense, so they're not being heard. You know, there's, there's so many caveats to this, but mm-hmm. it also helps lead them to manage it. And so once that emotion is calmed or managed, then help them to discover a different way of looking or, you know, a different perspective. Offer them help to figure out, hey, this didn't work out this way, so why don't we try this way to better, you know, deal with their emotions. So it may help them have a different thought about their emotion. And remember, emotions connect with our thoughts. And so it's good to make that connection. So, you know, that, that's also it's extremely important. And, and the thing about um, when we talk about, you know, how we think and our emotions and our behaviors, the bottom line is that when we think positive, we're not necessarily going to feel anxious. Uh, or when we we feel upset or mad, we're not going to necessarily feel happy. So oftentimes our emotions are in line with our thoughts. So guess what, mom? We need to help our child feel, you know, feed positive thoughts and energy into their minds because it starts there. Johnny, I understand that you are angry about losing the game. However, when you look at, how the game ended and, and what, what happened to lead to the loss. Okay. Cause you now, you're talking about executive function, thinking about it
1: mm-hmm.
0: away from the emotion. Let's talk about that. You know? And, and of course Johnny needs to be in a, in a, in a, in a state of mind to where he's not focused on these emotions, but now he's conducible to have a conversation with, you know, mom about, well, this is what I was thinking that happened. And how did that make you feel? Well, th- this, 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 and this, okay? So it's just really just finding that inlet and that that way to connect with your child and, and helping them find ways to manage.
1: And mm-hmm. I feel like mindset for parents is just as important. And really that's what fuels our kids' mindsets. You know, we're setting the example. And when we work to be in a more positive frame of mind, when we're working to, look at items of gratitude, when we're feeling hopeful, when, you know, we're just very mindful about our perspective and our energy, that's then modeling for our kids, but also just giving, you know, they they absorb so much. And- When we are always negative or we're always talking about ADHD, and we're always talking about all the challenging parts, you know, you get so upset or you never get your teeth brushed in the morning, you're never ready on time. you know when it's just all of that, it's mm-hmm. just this big dark cloud. Mm-hmm. And really, for me, personally, I had to come to a point where I said, okay, I, I don't want to live like this anymore. and I know nobody in my family wants to live like this anymore. We're so tired of, thinking about ADHD, talking about ADHD, complaining about ADHD, you know, struggling with ADHD, that yeah. I really had to make that mindful decision to shift. And yeah. then it really helped everybody else around me to be able to do that too. And and I have to say, you know, My husband, my kids, they started to pull away. They didn't want to sit at family dinner. They didn't want to hang out in a room with me because they knew that's all I would talk and think about for the longest time because Mm -hmm. I was just in that fix it mode. And Mm -hmm. I just didn't have the awareness of what that meant, that sort of mindset and perspective. And it's so super valuable to parents because, again, we're setting that foundation. We're setting the foundation for our kids to now be in that headspace as well.
0: You can describe it better. Um, You know, I always, I always, you know, encourage moms, particularly to think about it in this fashion, similar to what you're saying, Penny, you know, your kids learn how to respond to stressful situations by watching how you react, Mm -hmm. right? And so we, we understand that stressful situations can often occur outside of our control, but how we react and how we respond, that's where we gain control. And so we won't lose it. And so teaching a child that and then wearing all these multiple hats can be daunting. It's so, and, and how you're saying, you know, moms have the power. I know, that's why I call right. my family, moms. You all have the power to really think, you know, and, and you know what? The other thing, and I'm sure many family members may admit this, but they also look to moms for direction and guidance.
1: Mm-hmm. That, that <laughs> silent role we take.
0: It really is. And there's so many, I mean, you want to do biblical or even traditional societies. I mean, you always see that moms are in the core front of, you know, kind of guiding everyone else. And so that's why for moms, I encourage you to listen to us. It's so important that you yourself are aware and, and, and as Penny says, mindful of how you're receiving information, how you're feeling, what your thoughts are like. And even if, you you know, you need to get the assistance and help that you need in order to gain better control.
1: And, Absolutely.
0: Yes. And the other aspect about this is that when we look at genetics and how, you know, deeply rooted ADHD is and with genetics, you know, a lot of my moms I work with have ADHD too. So don't run away from that condition. Manage it if you know you have it and work with a doctor so that you can be the best For your son and daughter, your husband, you know your role in the community, Um, but it's all about you first. And it's okay, mom, to prioritize you first. Yes, guilty about that. Yes, I know you're a mom, and you weren't always a mom, and you you used to prioritize yourself. Guess what? You can still prioritize yourself today. I don't care if you have fifty million kids. (laughs) It's so important because you can't be the best for them if you're not the best for yourself.
1: Right. That is so true. Yeah. I mean, that really, you know, society really gives us this idea that we should be ashamed mm-hmm. if we take time for ourselves, if we right. have a family. That our role then becomes, as soon as we're a parent, that it everything has to be about that child, and self-care actually is about our kids (laughs) taking care of ourselves taking Mm -hmm. care of our mental and emotional health Mm
0: -hmm. is
1: about our kids because that then feeds into our interactions with them and you know the the extra level of stress that we're under stress causes all sorts of physical ailments (laughs) you know it's it's a serious thing and we often still we say oh well you know I'm a parent. I'm stressed. I'm a mom. This is, this is what happens, mm-hmm. but it's not, it doesn't have to be. And, you know, people like you and I, and so many other people that I've talked to on the podcasts and summits and at our happy mom retreat, we all give you permission to That's take funny. care of yourself. Amen. Even if it's five minutes, just to breathe by yourself, locked away in a bedroom or a closet or whatever you need to do you have to have that because it does detract from your capabilities as a mom that thing that you're sacrificing for
0: yes you're exactly right i i refer to it as me time and i actually write prescriptions for this (laughs) Because it helps validate that, you know, they like you're saying, Penny, they're giving themselves permission. I'm giving them permission to take me time, even though they don't need my permission. But it just allows them to feel supported in doing it, right? And so, and they can show it to their loved one. Hey, Dr. Brown says I can have me time. And so they can put that note on their door. Don't bother mom for at least an hour <laughs> so I can recruit and get myself together and be my best for you all. And mom's can it. The thing about it, any caregiver, when you are at your best, then you are able to, and this is why I think it's so important for us to discuss this, Penny's, you're able to help your child see the bigger picture when their emotions are not regulated. You're able to not take things personally, right? When your child burns out at you, knowing they had a long day at school, but when they come home, encourage them to decompress as well. Before they start their homework time. <laughs> because if that doesn't happen for the both of you, I can only imagine how homework time can be for you, moms. And so, you know, you're modeling this for your child, but you, you know, by doing it for yourself first.
1: And that's so right that we really are teaching them how to treat themselves as an adult. Yes. Do you want your daughter to sacrifice everything about herself mm-hmm. if she has children or your son? Um, Do you want them to give entirely of themselves and not do anything for themselves anymore? Their hobbies don't matter. Nothing they want matters. Do you want that for your child? Of course not. Yet we tend to accept it for ourselves and then that's what we're modeling. So there's a lot of ahas that kind of happen on that journey to figuring out that self-care is way more important and way more valuable to our kids. Than we think it is.
0: That's right. That's right. And when you realize that, and you you accept it, and you're practicing it, then all these other things that we discussed makes the journey much easier or less effort that you have to put into it. Um, and your kids may be more receptive to responding to it as
1: well. Uh, you're just more capable of handling their big emotions when <laughs> when you've taken time for yourself and you're feeling pretty okay. It's a lot easier to keep calm in those Mm -hmm. moments, to show that validation, to really be the best that we can be, be exactly what they need in those moments. Exactly. Exactly. And that empowers
0: them. It empowers them. Yes, that the condition that they may feel... Um, dissed by, you know, because they're hearing it from other places or other people, other peers. That is something that they no longer have to feel dissed by, but they can feel empowered by because you're meeting them where they are. And now they can teach others how to, you know, help them manage their emotions um, what to expect from them, right? So it's like your child is teaching your teacher how to treat them <laughs> and right. what they need in order to Perform at their best, so it just it continues. Yeah,
1: Mm -hmm. yeah. I mean, it's it's completely a community and a domino effect, and you know, I think that's part of the reason that you and I do what we do in the ways that we do. We're trying to help to educate the public in general, not just families, even, but everybody who comes into contact with our kids with ADHD or with adults with ADHD, so that we are kind of preparing the world for our kids. Exactly. You know, and
0: I just want to reiterate one point is that moms, if you find yourself stuck as well, or you find you, you have some, you know, it's you've been working at it, you've been putting effort into trying to help regulate your emotions and you, you know, your your child is a, is a mini you, you know, go ahead and, and discover this, you know, meet with a physician, you know, meet with someone who can assist you and even, you know, seeing if you have ADHD or if there's something else going on some medical condition, you know, if you're putting the effort for, which most moms do, right. And, And you're finding that you're not getting anywhere and you still feel in the same place. It's like you may have ADHD. So it's, you know, it's so it's important because ADHD doesn't necessarily just, you don't grow out of it. That's the other thing that I talk about. We just learn better ways to manage it when we become adults. And some of us need medicines to assist us. Some of us need more coaching skills or time management skills. Some of us may need to change our job so that our job actually supports our ADHD. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Right. And so, you know, you have to find out what's best for you. But, you know, I don't want you out there to feel stuck and, and give up either. And, and knowing and being aware that these conditions don't necessarily go away and they continue with you as an adult. It's even more important that, you know, you get the help that you need as well.
1: And reaching out to other moms who understand, I think, is yeah. super, super valuable because we tend to decide that it must be something we did. We must, you know, be a bad parent or we didn't find the right treatment or whatever. We we can self-blame with the best of them. Mm -hmm. And that's Mm -hmm. really easy to do and to get caught up in when you feel like you're the only one who's struggling in that way. And there's millions of other parents raising kids with ADHD, people who are struggling or struggling with kids who are having different challenges you know no life is perfect we get so caught up in the social media highlight reel and we think that we're seeing all of these other moms or other families where everything is just hunky dory but mm-hmm. it's not you know that's just what they're sharing exactly. and we have to have to have to connect connection is so important for our mental health too and There's so many ways to do it now with the internet and social media. You know, there's so many Facebook groups and pages and just so much support out there. And even if you don't interact, you know, even if you're too shy or anxious to talk about it, it just stalking those groups can make you feel so much more validated yourself.
0: That's right. And that's why I was so honored to be a part of this podcast, because I know that working moms sometimes don't always have the time to connect even when they want to. So Penny, what you've created is an audio version of connection. You know, you're a mom yourself. You have guests on who can provide, you know, advice and knowing and encouraging the moms out there that they're not alone. <laughs> they're like they yeah. are millions. And, you know, when they're on their drive home, when they're in a the grocery store, when they're working out, you know, it's those moments when they can connect with, you know, an audio version of what you're doing to feed their minds that, hey, the support is out there. What I'm feeling and experiencing, I'm not alone. There is help that I can receive. These are other ways I can do it. So, you know, accolades to you and in, in oh, doing
1: things
0: for moms um, because, you know, again, it, it can be stressful. Being a parent is awesome, but it can be stressful. Yeah, okay? no kidding. <laughs> yeah, Let's okay just to say
1: it for what it is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean it is time we just said it out loud right that we just stop trying to sweep it under the rug we stop trying to avoid the hard things Mm -hmm. and we just go for it and be real about it and Mm -hmm. that somehow that is the path that I took which is really kind of insane for me because I have wicked social anxiety and general anxiety so Mm -hmm. where I am now Is kind of miraculous and completely fueled by this awesome kid that I have, you know, it's it's a completely different path than I ever thought I would take. But um, as far as work or career, you know, being this more public presence, you know, that's never been me, but I feel like we need that. We need to know that other people struggle to. And yes. even I, you know, we've had a rough time the last few months and I have been very open about that in my emails to my audience and um, social media and such, because I want everybody to know that even people in this community, even those of us who might have more knowledge or more years of experience in it, it's still a struggle sometimes oh. that never goes away fully. And that can be really hard. You know, I struggled with feeling like maybe I was a phony if I didn't have it all together, you know? And then yes. I thought, no, I'm just real, just it's a real person. Exactly, you're human. And, and we, we all are.
0: Exactly. And there, there's so many blessings on that, in that journey, right? You know, sometimes we have to go through those dips, those valleys, those stop blocks, those, you know, detours. And, and, and in order for our gift to be unwrapped, you know, our mission to be um, discovered, you know, thank God for Penny Williams and having these seminars and a podcast <sighs> here for parents who otherwise wouldn't have known, you know, that they're alone and or they're not alone and they, that there's help out there. And what they're experiencing is natural. Right. Um, and so this is your gift I would have never known that, you know, you you had experienced those things, but thank God you went through them so that you learned to manage them. And thank God, you know, you went through them with your son who also taught you how to better manage them. So it's, 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 you know, it's
1: a two-way street here, right? Yeah, when we let our kids lead, it's amazing yeah. what they can show us about ourselves. And okay. that's not to say that we're just letting our kids run amok and do whatever they want to do and there's no rules. We're saying when we really tap into meeting them where they are, as you've talked about, that's letting them lead in a way that's an opportunity for everyone and an opportunity really to let them be who they are. Exactly. It's empowering.
0: It's empowering, and it so empowering. that we're all unique in our own way.
1: Mm-hmm. Totally, we all have our own struggles. I think that's the the hardest thing, especially for my son, is like through middle school and teen years, was being very aware that the kids around him were different and that he wasn't able to fit, that he wasn't able to necessarily, you know, do his work as they do it or things like that. And he was painfully aware of that for a long time. And we have just continuously had that talk about everybody has different struggles. You know, I'm super anxious. I, just about what my parents talking to somebody I don't know like that's a struggle just because I did well in school doesn't mean that I don't struggle with something and we all do and reminding our kids of that normalizes what yeah. they're going through I think it helps them to see that there is a place for them that's right exactly right yeah. We didn't get to talk much about RSD and we just have a couple more minutes. So I wanted to, I know we're kind of looping around and backtracking from where we ended up, but I think it's a really important concept. Um, when I read the first article on RSD, I was... Flabbergasted because it explained my son like nobody's business and my husband too, actually. Yeah. Um, and it really gives a lot of understanding to some of that intensity, some of those big emotions, but also sometimes when our kids misinterpret completely what we were trying to say to them, they feel it was criticism. Mm-hmm.
0: You know, and I laugh because when I read about it the first time, I'm like, did someone write about me? Yeah, right. <laughs> And, you know, and and you know, what's interesting about that, Penny, is that my closest friends or some even my family, well, my family is probably a different experience, but my closest friends would probably also be like my family. But anyone that would basically know me for a few years, not necessarily have the closest relationship, would be surprised that I would even say that. Um, And so the good thing about that is that I've managed it to a point, to a point but it made it real that I still have a lot of work to do because yeah. what we're talking about RSD is, is also known as rejection, sensitive dysphoria. So when you think about in the word rejection, I'm sensitive to rejection, and dysphoria is like hard to cope, hard to accept rejection, in other words. You know, these are individuals who are very sensitive to what other people, you know, what other people think or say about them. It's hard to accept criticism, even if it's positive. And as you stated, Penny, they may perceive things in the way they were not intended. So sometimes criticism or rejection is imagined in their minds, but not always, you know. And the thing about ADHD is that 99% And I see this stat all over the place because we're still learning more about this condition. But 99% of people with ADHD have this condition. And I was flabbergasted when I read this following stat that ADHD researchers estimate that by age 12, children with ADHD get 20,000 more negative messages about themselves than other kids their age. Isn't that heartbreaking? Oh my goodness! I mm-hmm. I think I, I I think I put the book down. I was I was just <laughs> <laughs> I thought about the rule. I was like, what twenty thousand more negative messages about themselves? Yeah.
1: Right, In, intentional or not, you know, it doesn't have to even be a verbal negative message. It could be, you know, a teacher who doesn't quite understand that they need a little more support and thinks right. that they're just not motivated to do the work. You know, that's a negative message to, you know, they're, they're processing that as meaning something negative about themselves.
0: It is. And, and, and as you're saying, we're coming full circle, you know, we mentioned in the front part of the pack, podca- you know, this episode that, you know, the first six years of life are very critical for their brain development, right? When we're talking about kids before age 12, we're talking about the development of their self-esteem, their self Earth, that that's really starting to develop. So the criticism that they may be receiving, intentionally, unintentionally, or misperceiving, um, can take a real toll on how their you know self esteem is developing. So how does that impact their school, their education, their friendships, right? Their mood, you know, their sleep, their their overall functioning. It has a significant impact. So that's why a lot of you know, and, and I think you also mentioned when with your son and and the impulses and what he may say he didn't mean, but this is a real stat too. We really have to talk about it is that kids who have ADHD are two times more suicidal than kids without ADHD. And so not only necessarily are they feeling that internally, but again, they're receiving that external stress or being bullied. And so that further exacerbates their own thoughts and feelings about themselves and their abilities.
1: Yeah, I'll tell you, EMDR therapy has been really helpful this year. My son's 17 and working through some of that because his self-esteem has taken a massive beating through the years in school and he was just at a really low point and it was time to really work with somebody on that and um, the process, the approach of EMDR has been kind of helpful because really it's looking at what's the root on the surface it was different behaviors, but the root was really this really poor self-esteem and this lack of confidence that was really feeding all of these other issues that we were seeing on the surface. Mm -hmm. And it's been really enlightening, but, you know, I will say we, we talk a lot about using different therapies, using different modalities, behavior therapy, talk therapy, play therapy, and in the context of ADHD or even autism, And there's something also to be said for therapy that doesn't come from that approach, that's coming from some other theory or idea. And that's what this ended up being for us. It was not a clinician who really has a strong background in ADHD or autism. It was something else entirely. And and it actually turned out to be the most beneficial of any sort of talk or behavior therapy that he's had over the years, which amazes me because i'm always so focused on you know what are the specific <laughs> challenges and we think the adhd is feeling it and the autism is feeling it and to figure out that yes it it started the ball rolling but now it's created these other things that our kids sometimes need help working through that's
0: right what you're saying it just reinforces i mean not just the condition itself but how we manage a condition mm-hmm. and and just, The bottom line, if you meet your child where they are, moms, you know your children the best, right? Um, Learning more about your children by having, you know, meaningful conversations with them, getting them to the point where they are calm and they're able to communicate in whatever fashion they can communicate in that's effective. Um, You know, drawing, you know, using words, analogies. And and getting them to a place where they understand that not one treatment management is going to be the same because that's another part of this. When I talk to kids and they're like, "Well, my medicine doesn't work. I'm bad," and so I'm like, "Well, no. Let's talk about this. What? What? Why you don't feel that, it, that it's working? Why do you feel that you're bad? You know?" And, and try to uncover you know what they're saying. And like you're suggesting, you get to the the bottom line where it's not even the medicine that they need in in the case of what they're talking about. You know, it's something completely, totally different that they're mentioning and they've associated with being bad. Yeah. And, And so, yes, you're exactly right. And so that's why I always encourage parents. There's no one treatment for ADHD. There's no one treatment um, for how you're gonna approach this, or how you're gonna engage your children in different types of therapies, try all of them. Try one, see how it works. Whatever you decide, but try something, and that's how you know, you know if it's effective or not. Um, get with parents who have different ways of managing because they may already have stopped on that exit. You know that you, and you all are on the similar journey, and so they can give you insight as to what has been helpful for them. Um, but just know that you are supported and, and you know that you're bound to continue to look and discover ways that you did eventually find unimaginable, but they are very effective and working for you and your family.
1: So the bottom line in our entire conversation is this, this is very complex,
0: <laughs> but doable,
1: <laughs> right? I mean, <laughs> there's so much complexity and you and I could talk for days and yeah. still not cover it but you know the root of everything that we're talking about is that it is complex and there is a lot for you to dig deeper into and to look at and to take into account yourself your own self care your own attitude and mental health and physical health and you know all the emotions and the rsd and the dysregulation and all the things that are not just inattention and impulsivity and hyperactivity It's super complex, but I think when we recognize that, and then we say, Okay, I just need to get to know my child. How Mm -hmm. is this affecting my child? What are Mm -hmm. their strengths? Where do they need support? That's how we get through it. We stop worrying about the rest of the world and what they think, and we start parenting the individual kid that we have.
0: If I could yell, I would, because I was (laughs) into that. You were so on point. Um, What you said is, is, it's, it's kind of the guide to where moms can start. If they have a question about, well, what do I do? Where do I start? That's where you start. You focus on your child and how you can better help them. And, you know, and you're probably the first step in that, that journey. And then your child's next. But again, like you said, Penny, leave the world to the world because the world's always going to be there. They're always going to have their own say and things like that. No, this is about how you're going to make a better world for your child. And so if you're going to focus on that that hope that will hopefully lead you on the right journey.
1: Yeah, I totally think we need to start raising individuals in general in yes. all of parenting. That's my my <laughs> latest soapbox, but anyway, you know the the conformity is killing our kids it's time to just see who they are and let them be who they are and support that it's so powerful and empowering for them but it's been such a great conversation dr don and i'm so glad that you gave moms permission to take care of themselves and to be in the emotions their own emotions and processing their own grief and um really Taking charge instead yeah. of just sitting down and kind of taking expectations, I think. Yeah. Um, for everybody listening, links to things that we have talked about in this episode, all the links to all of the fantastic work that Dr. Dawn is doing, her super mom's group, she has books, courses. Um, what am I forgetting? Your website. You I I hope you're on too <laughs> your podcast and then you are on so many podcasts I see all the time and you're just out there getting the word out and um, your energy is so infectious. and so I hope that parents will really connect with you and learn more from you too. So all of those links and everything will be in the show notes. You can get those at parenting ADhd and autismcom for episode 80. And with that, I just want to thank you once again for a really powerful conversation.
0: Oh, thank you so much, Penny, for having me. I really appreciate it. I'm truly honored. Thank you again.
1: You're so welcome. I appreciate you as well. And we'll see everybody on the next episode. Thanks for joining me on the Parenting ADHD podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and share. And don't forget to check out my online courses, parent coaching, and mama retreats at parentingadhdandautism.com.